So I came across an amazing quote from the Sfas Emes. Um, I haven't seen it inside because mine has not yet come out of storage. But, <laughs> but um, I found it translated into English when I was looking something up on a different project. And I was very excited by this quote. But I also felt that it helped to explain or hold together some other ideas for this bracha. So this is, you know, I, I always feel a little uncomfortable if I haven't seen it myself inside, inside. But anyway, this is attributed to Svasemis and Parshas Baha'olosucha of 5636, because that's the way the Svasemis in the traditional books is printed, are according to the Divri Torah, according to the year he said them in order, which is why... I was very excited. There's um, somebody, his name escapes me now, who has started putting together the Sfasemis, sort of cross-indexing the Sfasemis, so that he's printing them in accor- according to the Rashis. Because very often the Sfasemis start, starts with a Rashi uh-huh. and leaps off from there. Either he'll quote the Rashi, sometimes he won't quote the Rashi, but it's very often that's really the starting point. And so he's basically gone through. So now they're in order of the Psukim. And they're grouped, so you can see the same idea being expressed. You know, maybe he's taken it further a few years later or something like that. And so you start to get a much better idea of where he was going with the idea because you can see him say it, you know, at three different levels or when you see where it was based on. It's so much easier. Plus, he sometimes will put them from different barshas, meaning if the Rashi was quoted somewhere else or the Pasuk was quoted elsewhere in the Svasemis, he'll put it there. So now instead of these little thin volumes... It's this big fat volume, <laughs> but it's so much easier to use and to look and say, well, I wonder what the Svasemis says about this, which previously you kind of couldn't do. You know, if you had learned Svasemis, you might come up with something, but otherwise you couldn't, you couldn't see what it said. So that was, that's like very exciting. And he's done Bracious and Shmos. What he really did is over the last few years, he did each one Parsha by Parsha. And then this year, he's been sending out Chomish by Chomish. So in Parshas Bracious, he sent the link to the manuscript for, you know, it's still a little bit rough form. It needs some editing, but he, he sent out Bracious, which I, we bought Bracious, and I bought, the, you know, just like in a soft cover binding. But it's really very exciting. Now I'm waiting for Shmos to arrive. Okay, so the Svasama says like this. One of the greatest religious problems is that people fear having a relationship with God and consequently distance themselves from him. Which, well, yes. <laughs> I think that's an astonishing statement. To me, that's so non-obvious. Oh, it's very... I mean, it's something that people do. It's obvious in the yeah. sense that people really do it, mm-hmm. but I had never really put it together that way. Because they're afraid of the relationship, therefore, they pull away and get farther. It's not just that you're staying still... And you're nervous about coming forward, right? Because you're afraid to move forward, you therefore move backward. Which is not the same. We've talked a lot about Yerushamayim and how Yerushamayim pushes you to take a step backward. That's a whole different kind. Because Yerushamayim will cause you to sort of draw backward and yet come back forward again. Mm-hmm. This is something different. So he says, Just as Malachim serve Hashem without fear despite their lower status in comparison to God, 
so too human beings should take their model, meaning follow, follow the model of the malachim, walk amongst them, and not be afraid of developing a relationship with God and serving him. This, I think this is an unbelievable statement. I mean, what would it mean for a person to emulate a malach? So we think about that in terms of only doing Hashem's will, right? Just as a malach has, doesn't really have free will, we do. So choosing that Hashem's will will be our will would be a kind of, I mean, he's saying you model a malach by saying malachim are far more aware than we are of the distance between themselves and God because they have a better view of things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't at all cause them not to serve him. The fact that they're so much lower, yeah, so he says, so this is how we model them. The way that we model or emulate or walk amongst the angels is by saying, yes, I am much, much lower. I'm not at all in the same sphere as God, and yet that doesn't mean I can't serve him. This is something we can learn from Malachim. I I was totally blown away by this. I did that like... Because it's so easy, especially in a depressed kind of mood, meaning if you're not feeling confident about your sense of mission, then what that leads to is, I'm so small, who am I? What's the point? Why would he want anything from me? God could do it much better. He has other people who could do it better. He has malachim who could do it, whatever it is, right? So there's no point. Anything I do, I'm just going to mess it up. I can't do it perfectly anyway, so it'll just come out, you know, as a sin, and instead, he says, he says, this represents a wholeness that we as human beings are capable of only if we think of ourselves as walking amongst malachim. And it does tie in with things we've seen about the word malach as a messenger. The idea of if a person is like a malach, that's who you want to learn Torah from. Right? The, the person as the malach of Hashem, as Kisinti. <laughs> Where, okay. <laughs> okay. Where a person, in a sense, is a malach, not a malach like the type of creation, like a saraf or a whatever, hashmal or whatever all the different levels are of malachim, but a malach in the sense of I can also be a messenger of God. I can also be the one performing his will. And that's what I'm here for. So I, won't, I don't have to be afraid of that. And he says this is kind of a counteracting to the problem of fear of having a relationship with God and consequently distancing oneself. The opposite is, I'm not afraid to have that relationship because God created me for this. And if this is how he made me, that's okay. That doesn't mean I can't be close to him. He created me to come close to him. And that we learn that from the Malachim. So I think that that point um, is helpful in relating to some of the issues around this bracha of salach lanu avinu ki chatanu, lanu malkenu ki pashanu. Hashem, our Father, please forgive us for we have sinned and erase our sins, our King, for we have rebelled. Because there's a certain, a certain boldness required of that. This is the coming back, meaning so the person distanced themselves and now you got to come back and it's kind of scary to do that. So where do you get a confidence from to do that? So there's a couple different pieces over here. 
one, and I and maybe we'll come across it again. I can't remember where. Ah, here. The, the Gera Rebbe, Rav Avra Mordechai of Gur, asked, he said, in the whole Shemona Esrei, there's only two brachas where we refer to Hashem as our father. Mm-hmm. And that's tshuva and slachlanu. Tshuva and forgiveness. These two brachas. So to us, it sounds normal because we just said it twice. But actually, we're going to keep going. We're not going to come across that again. So I, I'm, not, I'm going to hold off a minute on his explanation of why those two. But I think that to a great extent that kind of ties together with this idea of the svasemes. The idea that a person might say, who am I to try and come close to Hashem? The karvenu malkenu secha, Draw us close to your avoda. We need help for that. Because a realistic assessment of who we are and what needs to be done would suggest that we should be terrified to get at all closer. You know, and if anything, it might be normal to walk away. And yet over here, what we're hearing is, but Hashem is our father. Ha'ashivenu avinu. Slachlanu avinu. So when it's your father, then no matter how poorly you're doing, there's sort of an underlying relationship there that doesn't go away just because of where you've been holding. And that that confidence that there is a relationship underlying just by the virtue of the fact that we're here (laughs) and he created us and made us there and he's our father, that in itself is kind of the basis and the foundation upon which to stand and say, well, since he's my father, he does want me to come closer. Mm -hmm. So I may think I don't deserve it and under any normal situation, this would be a chutzpah, but he's my father. Okay, so Rabbi Leff says, he quotes a few different um, explanations comparing and contrasting slicha and mechila. Right, we said they're, they're two different words for forgiveness. And he ties them to two different parts of mitzvahs and averos, that there are two different effects. And in fact, Rav Hirsch mentioned that in his parish on Tehillim, which I think is what I read last week. There, yeah, Rav Hirsch, he actually mentions it here also, but he says there are two parts to a sin. There are two effects of a sin. One is the damage that the sin does. Actually, this is a different Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch puts it like this. He says that when you, every time you go off track, it's not just that you go off track and now you have corrupted whatever the activity was by doing it as a sin instead of whatever the mitzvah opportunity was over there, but that what you've done is you've now swerved so you're actually walking in the wrong direction and you're no longer progressing toward the goal you're created for. You're not moving in the right direction. So slicha, <laughs> you're back at the, yeah, back at the treadmill. <laughs> you're back at the treadmill, yeah. So he says, that he, Rav Hirsch relates the word slicha to tzaleach, like hatzlacha, progress that overcomes handicaps, or shlicha, sending something on a mission. He says slicha is related to tzlicha and shlicha. 
which makes sense. It's grammatically related, mm-hmm. meaning being sent out or progress that overcomes difficulties. So slicha is progress, is a kind of progress and going forward. It's not just forgiveness for what has happened. It's permission to go forward and get back on track. This, when a God forgives you, it puts you back on track to being able to serve him. This is, a very, this is what we talked about more last week, this topic of slicha as a kind of progress. Okay. So Rav Lev said, when a person does an Avera, there's the damage of the Avera, damage to himself, damage to others, damage within, that vibrates out into the world, resonates out into the world. But there's also the harm of having disobeyed Hashem's command. There are two levels of damage there. One is sort of the actual effects that come out from the sin, and one is what the sin means, which is rebellion. And he says it's the same thing also with a mitzvah. A mitzvah, there's the positive aspect of performing the mitzvah and the good that it does. Mm -hmm. And there's also the meaning that I'm doing a mitzvah and therefore I am obeying God. We saw that that's the, actually, I think it's the end of, I think it's the end of Bo, but I think it might be the end of Bishalach, where... um, the Ramban talks about, we've seen this Ramban several times, right? The Ramban gives the reason for many mitzvahs is because when we do them, he says, all you have to do is a small, <laughs> a very small expense in his days, apparently, of hanging a mezuzah on the door. You put on tefillin, you daven, you, every time you, you know, put, take a pot and think, which sink does it go into? What you're doing is saying, there's a God and he created the world and he gives the rules and he cares about my behavior and there's such a thing as reward and punishment, right? There's this huge statement that's made every time we do a mitzvah, and the opposite statement, unfortunately, every time we do an avera. And, I mean, over here, Rabbi Left doesn't discuss, like, which one matters more, but <laughs> can't underestimate either one of them, the negative effect of an avera or the positive effect of a mitzvah, but also the meaning and the statement behind it and what that means in terms of our lives. So, Rabbi Lef goes on, he says, when a person sins, there are really two kinds of forgiveness that he needs to ask for, and they correspond to the two effects of the sin. So the first thing he needs to do is ask for slicha, salach lanu avinu, because there's damage. And he's saying, Hashem, please forgive me, and he, he actually cites Rav Hirsch where the slicha is a kind of progress going forward so in other words help me to correct the setback turn Hashem please turn it back into a going forward so the action that I took instead of setting me back will allow me to still go forward and then there's mechila forgiveness which is asking and that's what he says this also explains why slachanu avinu and machalanu malkenu are king because with the king what we're asking for is forgiveness for having disobeyed him and making a statement of disobedience. So that is to the king, because that's the main issue with the king. And he suggests that why is it called mechila in that case? He says perhaps it's related to machol, which means like a circle dance, right? Like we have the, in the future, the shechina will dance with all of the shvatim, with the shechina in the middle, and right? And they'll all point and say, this is Hashem, that we've waited for him. So that's machol is a circle, 
but it means specifically a circle that you're dancing in. So he says, Mechila is the, is the correction. Mechila is being rejoined in that dance with God, which means I'm part of things running as they ought to. And that's the asking him to forgive us for my having stepped out of that circle and disobeyed and said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do it just because you ain't that rebellion, so that would be the opposite. In view of that, he says, when we, when we have halachos like Yom Kippur time, Elul, we talk about asking people for forgiveness, right? We ask them for mechila. Mm-hmm. We don't ask people for slicha. I mean, in modern Hebrew, people say slicha, like, excuse me, please forgive me is what it means. Mm-hmm. Like, please forgive me, and then the person, okay. But really, halachically, we don't say that we ask people slicha. We say that we ask people mechila mm-hmm. to forgive us. He says, why is that? Because slicha is the kind of forgiveness that addresses and cleans up the damage done by the sin, the effect of it. People can't take care of that for you. Mm-hmm. If you hurt somebody's feelings, even that the person can't correct for you. Mm-hmm. They could say, I forgive you. I don't mind the slight to my honor. I'll forgive that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it did hurt me, I can't take away what has happened. And not only that, but there's also damage to your soul for having said the insulting thing. Or they can't do anything about that either. And maybe now there's this sort of environment in the world that's been contaminated a little bit by the fact that you spoke those words. And they're out there. And the person can't forgive that either. There's, they have no ability to do anything with that. What they can do is mechila, because mechila is the slight against their honor. In the same way that we said, it's the disobedience to God. Saying, I'm not doing what you want me to do. That they could forgive. The fact that you hurt a person, they could say, I can forgive that. That's mechila. So in rabbinical literature, he says, we find bakashas mechila, asking for mechila. We don't find bakashas slicha, even though in modern Hebrew, people will say slicha like, excuse me, (laughs) which is supposed to be asking the person to forgive them. Okay, so now coming back around to this um, question that the Gerarevi brought up, which is how come only these two brachos talk about Hashem as our father? And he says, let's look at the halacha. There's a halacha that says, Melech shemochel al kvodo, kvodo, ein kvodo machel. If a king, here it just says it in English, but if a king says, it's okay, you don't have to give me covered. There's different halachas of how you have to honor a king. If the king says, never, don't worry about it. No, he walks in the room and everyone's together. He says, no, no, it's okay, sit down. Right? His honor is not forgiven. He doesn't have the right, and the way we normally explain this is because the king's honor is not really because of who... He, it's not the king that we're honoring. It's the malchus that we're honoring. And that is a representation of God's dominion to the people. So he doesn't have the right to say, no, 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 that's fine. Okay? Of shemachal al kvodo, a father who's mochel on his kavod, kvodo machal. So if you walk into a room, if a father walks into a room 
and the child stands up and the father says, you know what? <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't mind if you don't stand up. Whether that's a good idea or not, by the way, is another question. But it could be. I mean, let's say the child, I don't know. God forbid people have handicapped children. <laughs> I, I want, I'm officially making you mocha. <laughs> it's mocha. You don't have to stand up for me, right? Or I don't know. One of my teachers, Rabbi Orlok, which is visiting recently, and it happened to be that that day I was working at a desk that's in the hallway. So every time he came in and out of the room he was in, right? So he said, you don't have to stand up. The Allah is only once is enough for the day. So I said, I don't get so many chances to stand up for Rebbe, so maybe it's better for me to take what I can get, you know? But, but he could say, he could be mochel. He could say, you know what, just, just sit. Like, I don't want you standing up every time I walk in now because then I feel like inhibited from walking out the door because I'm worried that I'm bothering somebody, right? So a father could feel that way. He's walking in and out, unloading something from the car, and every single time, you know, there's 10 children and grandchildren, and everybody stands up, maybe he's going to feel embarrassed by that. Who knows? Okay, or whatever reason. So a father can forgive or exempt his children from a Torah commandment to honor him. That's because it's the Torah that said you have to honor your parents. But a king cannot exempt his subjects from the Torah commandment to honor a king. The halacha is different. Okay, so he says, what do we learn from this, the Gera Rebbe? Fatherly love takes precedence over fear of a father. That there's somehow more power, that the power of the love of the, for the father can outweigh the power of the fear of the father. So we say, Forgive us our father, for we have sinned. And we say that first before we say, Which is just like a fascinating concept. Ask the father first, ask the king second. Why? Because the love of the father can be even stronger than the fear of the king. Okay. He says a similar halacha. He says that it has a similar principle. And this was halacha I never heard before. Which is that there's a mitzvah to lean on the Seder night. Mm-hmm. We're slowly getting in that direction. You know, you feel it because we're in Shmos. Yeah. So you start to feel that Pesach is coming, even though it's still a little ways down the track. So you lean and recline as if you're royalty when you're eating at the Seder. But a Talmud who's eating at the same Seder as his Rebbe is not supposed to lean. This, I never knew this. <laughs> not supposed to lean because despite the feelings of freedom that he's supposed to feel, he's still obligated to show awe of his mentor. In contrast, a son who eats at the Seder table with his father is allowed to lean. I mean, this is what we all thought. <laughs> we never knew it could have been different. A son, says Rashbam, doesn't have to humble himself so much. The father's love frees the son of having to show the fear. The love, when it's a father, the love can overwhelm even the awe. And so we say, forgive us our father. Okay, then so he quotes. Can the, can the I don't know. <laughs> It's a good question. It could be. Because the Rebbe's not a king. 
yeah. Teach the Talmud. <laughs> Don't a forget to leave. It's a good question. I don't know. Like I said, even with a parent, it's not always the best thing to forgive. Sometimes it is. Look, if the kids are not going to be behaving as they ought to anyway, so sometimes it's better for the father to be mochel simply in order to prevent them from sinning. That's by itself could be a, a rationale. Um, also, it could be because it makes him uncomfortable or he's concerned that it's too much, you know, all these possibilities. But generally speaking, really, those halachos are a healthy relationship. That's why they're there. So you wouldn't want to go too lightly. You'd want to, like, talk to somebody, you know, talk to a Rav, like, what would be the correct balance? And it's a, it's a halacha question, but it's also an educational question as to what is the best way to develop that relationship. Okay. I think in our days it's pretty common that people are mochal on a lot of it because the society has gotten to a point where those expressions of awe are so rare that people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. teaching them or talking about them, which maybe is or isn't a good reason. But also they're concerned that it will weigh too heavily on the children because they are not called upon to behave this way in any other environment. So mm-hmm. I think people are afraid that maybe it will be too burdensome. Okay. Um, then I was looking in the Talalei Oros, and it quotes here a book called Hadas Vehadibur. And he says, when someone sins unintentionally, which is what we said was chait, chait was not intentionally rebellious, then he still thinks he's in the category of Hashem's son. I mean, oh yeah, I messed up, I feel so bad. But he doesn't think that he's rejected in any way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone commits a pesha, which is an intentional, no, I know I'm not supposed to, I know you told me not to do that, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm going to violate the law. Then his feeling inside is that he has pulled away from Hashem and now he's an Eved, but he's not a child anymore. So in this way, he's explaining why it's slachlanu avinu kichatanu, because when you're in the state of feeling that you have, have done a chait, chatanu, you would still relate to God as Avinu, but when you're in the state of Pashanu, you're relating to Hashem as Malkenu, not so much as Avinu. Um, but I, as I said before, this is why I sort of introduced it with that Tzvasemes, um, because the putting together of this over here suggests that the fact that we react that way and assume that because we've sinned this way, now we're no longer in the circle, um, doesn't necessarily mean we can't come back. I mean, just because that is our instinctive reaction doesn't mean we have to be limited by it. Okay. So I have a few more points on this dif- distinction between the relationship of the father and the king. So I want to just come back to, we started with the Abu Darham a few weeks ago because this was kind of the underlying, he really sums up all the major points that everyone then builds off of on this bracha. He says, Slicha, chait, and father all go together, and mechila, pesha, and melech all go together, because all sins that a son does, commits against a father, the father can easily consider them as unintentional. The zedonos, the intentional sins of a child, a father is quickly prepared to interpret them as shigagos, as unintentional sins. 
He didn't mean it. He didn't realize. If he had known, or when he gets older, it will be different. It's pretty easy for a father to do that. And it is a light matter in the eyes of the father to forgive them. In the same way that a chait is much less severe than a pesha. But before a king, even unintentional sins are easily read as intentional. Right? We talked about this. You say, well, I didn't know that that was the rule. I didn't mean to. I just had a good excuse this time. I was in a hurry. I was on my way to get the blinkers fixed. That's it, right? It, it doesn't help if you tell the judge, like, you know, that you got a ticket because your headlights weren't working, but I was on my way to get it replaced. Okay, but you, you drove against, I mean, that was against the law. You could have found some other solution, get the car towed or something. Like, not that that would be convenient or affordable, but it, the just the fact that, the <laughs> yeah, in some places, some places you do. Okay. So therefore, when it comes to the king, it says, keep Hashanu. In other words, it's all kind of easily interpreted as an intentional rebellion. And because Pesha is worse than Chait. And Mechila is what we ask of somebody who is particular, who has been slighted. That's called Mechila, not Slicha. And so we say to the father, who doesn't feel personally slighted, we ask for Slicha. And when it comes to the king, where every sin is really an insult to his honor, then we ask for mechila. Okay, so that's, that was the Abu Daham. Now this, I think, is going to bring us to... Okay. Okay, so now, yeah... <laughs> the Arasatvila uh, kind of says, so we're saying, you know, on Russian, you said, Im kivanim, if we're like servants, if we're like children. If we're like servants, then have pity on us the way a master would to the servants. If we're like children, have pity on us the way that a father has mm-hmm. for his children. So he sort of says, it's like that. If we're like children, so slachlanu. If we're like your servants, then nachalanu. Taking that Abu Darham. Okay. So with Slicha, this is from Rav Munk, who very often is actually taking from Rav Hirsch, but I don't see that that's the case over here. He said with Slicha, that is the consigning the transgression to oblivion. The fact that you sinned, that's, that's behind you. And that applies more to the individual. The mechila is being absolved from the punishment. So one is sort of the, the sin, the spiritual effect of having done the wrong thing, and one is being forgiven of the punishment, you know, having the ticket forgiven. <laughs> you know, okay, fine, don't pay the ticket. So from our father, we invoke atonement for sins we've committed as chatoim without intent or plan. Because the father's heart can easily condone that. But if we have sinned willfully and we are distanced from that father relationship in our heart, 
then we start for asking from the king and asking, please forgive the action. And only from there can we take another step back toward the father role. And it's, we're not going to say it this time, but there's, there's an interesting switch. We have Slach Lanu Avinu Kichatanu, followed by Machal Lanu Avinu. And then we have Kimochel Vesoleachata. They switch order. It starts with Slicha and Mechila, and then says Mechila and Slicha. And that's part of it. <laughs> Meaning when a person has created that distance, especially if it was rebellious, then in a sense, they're going to have to move the other direction to get back to get back step by step towards where they were. Um, but that's not today's topic. Okay. Our king, you're our king. Why do we mention this? So the Ramah says, because when a person is sitting in front of a king, his actions and his activities are very different <laughs> than when he's in his house. You simply don't behave the same way when you're sitting in your family room and when you are standing before the king and the way that he speaks is different and he controls where he doesn't he says his mouth is not as wide like he doesn't go on and on and on when he's standing in front of the king the way he would when he's kind of expounding to his family and his relatives all the more so when a person has firmly established in his heart that the king that he's standing before is the greatest of all kings, the creator. So, so it's not, I mean, it's enough. <laughs> Just start by picturing any powerful, whatever would be your equivalent of a king, because we have trouble with that, but somebody that you have a lot of respect for, for whatever reason, your boss, you know, or your boss's boss's boss, right? And you work your way up, but ultimately that's just a muscle, the king. Really, Hashem is a king who is greater than all kings, so that would have an even stronger effect. The God whose glory fills the whole earth, who is standing over him and watching all of his deeds. And when a person achieves an awareness of that, then he has a kind of a yira, and that yira has an effect on his behavior and causes him to think more carefully before he speaks and before he acts and that. So he says that this Mahalanu Malkenu, forgive us, that the forgiveness of Malkenu can be a more <coughs> comprehensive one, but it's also a, a good correction for the Pesha that caused it. Because the Pesha was the rebellion, and so the kind of the, the cure for that is the awareness of Malkenu. Okay, the difference between slicha and mechila. Hello. Okay. So Rav Schwab, who, who in, a, in a great sense, he's really quoting the Abu Darham, but he puts it, I just like the way he said it. He says, slicha is overlooking our sins like a parent overlooking the sin of a small child because he doesn't know better. Which is interesting. I mean, I, I don't know how far he takes that because it almost sounds like it doesn't solve anything, really. I, it, solves, it solves that the parent isn't angry. 
but it doesn't solve whatever caused the problem. Just by, uh, when you just overlook something, right, sometimes that's the best thing to do, especially with a child. Why? Because over time, they'll learn. So sometimes the least said, the better. Because if you say something, you push them away. But if you just say nothing, then give them time to figure it out on their own, and the lesson is learned even better because they figured it out themselves. They didn't have it beaten instead. But the slicha itself doesn't accomplish that. <laughs> and he says, Mechila is a royal pardon for acts that we knew were wrong and yet did anyway. They're the rebellious ones. It's fitting, this is just me sort of commenting on that, but that's fitting when we realize that what we're asking for the slicha, the overlooking our sins, like a parent overlooking the sins of a small child, is related to chatanu, which is typically translated as unintentional sins. So overlooking it, it's true it doesn't solve the problem, but the problem doesn't run that deep. The problem isn't in the heart of the person. There was no intention to do something wrong. It was careless or it was negligent or it was without knowledge. So in that sense, it's okay to just overlook it. As long as you just let it pass, then hopefully it won't, if it doesn't come up again, then it won't happen again because the person's not seeking to do wrong. Whereas the mechila is addressing where the person actually did mean to do the wrong thing. And so they need that royal pardon. Okay. Rav Avram, the son of the Gra, also says a chait is a, a blemished or damaged action. Whereas the pesha is that a person did not wish to accept upon himself omalchus shamayim, as if he was trying to take himself out of God's control. Rav Hirsch, in his sitter, in his commentary to the sitter, says, Slicha is personal forgiveness, granted so the transgression that was committed won't permanently blight the relationship of the transgressor to the one against whom he has sinned. I mean, he didn't mean to do it. So if the person's, it, person, I mean, here it's God, but if, you, this, if the person would not forgive the sin, now there's damage in the relationship because they're offended or they're you know, upset about it. But if they forgive, now you can just keep moving forward. He says, Mechila is an objective pardon, the waiver of the punishment which the sinner would have deserved. Rabbi Leff says, some say that slicha removes all traces of the sin this is the opposite, by the way, to the idea of Rav Schwab, where Rav Schwab said that it was just overlooking it. Because overlooking it doesn't remove anything, right? So he says, others say that slicha removes all trace of the sin, and mechila can take suffering in order for the full effects to be negated. Mm-hmm. Slicha has a more powerful effect than mechila. Mm-hmm. Slicha can really bleach it all out. And Mechila gets it started, but it may be accompanied by, there still may be other sorts of suffering that go along with that to help make it complete. Slicha erases the sin itself, and Mechila deals with the punishment from the commander. So Slicha deals with the intrinsic harm of the sin and is the antidote, 
And Mechila addresses the rebellious attitude that was inherent to the sin with pardon from the king. Then he quote, Rabbi Lef quotes the Tziyune Derech. I don't know who that is. I just want to make a little note here that this is. He says, Chatoim are like a hole or a gap. He says it's sins of omission. Things that you should have done and you didn't. You didn't do the mitzvah properly. Maybe you did the mitzvah, but you did it incorrectly or incompletely. He says, Pesha, that rebellious act, is, those are acts of commission. That's not just, I won't do it. I mean, what's wrong over there is the assertion of not doing it, right? It's really doing things that you shouldn't have done. So he says, the father-son relationship, the avinu, is built on positive actions showing honor to the father. So the forgiveness we ask is for having omitted to do as much as we should to honor Hashem as our father. Because that's how a father-child relationship is built. It's through what is done. Whereas the king-servant relationship is really based on not disobeying. As long as as you just do what you have to do, the king is not expecting the servant to bring flowers, write nice notes, you know, say, here, I did this special for you because I thought you would like it. That's like a whole different kind of relationship. So when we say pashanu, we ask forgiveness for things that we have done that are actively wrong because that's what blemishes the Malkanu relationship. I thought that was a very interesting extra little piece of the link there. Who is it? It's Tziyune Derech. That means like milestones, like posts, signposts along the way. But I don't know who that is. <coughs> this might be the Chavetz time, I'm not sure. He says... The neshama relates to Hashem as Avinu, as our father. From the neshama's point of view, all sin is unintentional. The neshama always wants to do God's will. And whatever it got forced into, trapped into, you know, stuck with a body that's got it wrong, from the neshama's point of view, that relationship with Hashem is the father, and it always wants to get it right. The body is the servant. And it relates to Hashem as a king and still could rebel and struggle with it. So then he says, the Chafetz Chaim says, sometimes there are sins where we would be hard-pressed to know, was this accidental? Lack of knowledge? Was it on purpose? If we relate to Hashem as if we are his children, then what are we saying about ourselves? We're saying, really, we never want to do anything to hurt you. We just sometimes mess up because we're still learning. And then Hashem's response is like the Darham, the father who looks at the young child and can overlook it. It's look, even, you, look, you think he did it on purpose. He didn't really know. And he can, he can easily make it lighter. But if we relate to him as servants and we say, well, I just got to do it because you said it, and that's the whole relationship, sort of coming from the body side of ourselves, then 
we have to cope with the fact that the forgiveness that we're asking for then is for intentional sins as, as servants who have disobeyed the king. So it's an interesting sort of changing where we're coming from on the inside and by moving where we're coming from in the relationship to a higher level, also then it's fitting that the response is that our sins are treated differently, which is kind of a, a very unusual unusual thought. Oh, that's the Maharaj. Hang on. Okay. So the Maharal says, hate is not intentional or, or shogeg. It, it might be negligent, but it wasn't with the intent to sin. And that is much lighter than pesha, which is rebellious. And the word mechila is used for the rebellious one. And for the unintentional or negligent sin, we say slicha. And this is how the Maharal explains it. Ki with regard to sins of chet, which are the sort of not, not on purpose sins, mechilasam, lefishu asa hachet bekavana, ve haposheya hamiskavin, hu mechavin lahamrid lefichach yotze rachok min hamechila. It is much easier to get forgiven for sins that are unintentional than for sins that are intentional. Because the intentional sins, the, per- the person wanted to rebel. So that's much harder to be forgiven for. The afilu hachi, even so, bemidas tuvos Hashem yisbarach mochalo. Hashem nonetheless, we say this every single day. Mechalanu malkenu ki fashanu ki mocha v'soleach ata. That every single day we say, Hashem, please forgive us even for rebellious sins because you forgive sins. He's saying, even though that should be really hard to achieve or get to, nonetheless, Hashem in his great goodness is willing to forgive even the rebellious sins. I believe he's addressing here the switch in order where you have the slicha that goes with the chait and that's first because that's the simplest to ask for because you didn't mean to do something wrong. And then only after that is sort of forgive us also for the intentional sins. But then we say Hashem is mochel and soleach which is the opposite order. So he says there is an extent to which The person who has done an unintentional or negligent sin, even though the sin itself is far less serious, the implications of the sin are far less serious, his forgiveness is harder to achieve. In what way? (laughs) Right? He says there is a way in which it's harder to achieve. What is that? He says, when a person does a negligent sin, it's harder to separate from who he is. It just kind of happened that way. And it's not that it's harder for God to forgive it, 
but it's harder for the person to recognize he's really done anything wrong and that he needs to get forgiven. Whereas the person who did a sin intentionally or rebelled, he's going to, when he, it's hard for him to get to the point of saying, please forgive me. But when he does and he says, Toisi, Haratati al Hamaise, I erred and I regret what I did wrong. So that's straight, it might be harder for him internally to get to that point because of whatever caused him to move the other direction. But he can see clearly what the problem is and say, Hashem, please forgive me. And here's how I'm going to do it differently. When you've accidentally done so, you know, when you, I don't know, you wake up at two in the morning and you were negligent because you didn't tape the light switches in the bathroom or whatever, right? But you get up at two in the morning on Shabbos and you realize you just turned the light switch on and you weren't really awake, okay? So how much tshuva do you do for that? Well, on the one hand, it was totally unintentional. And there was certainly no rebellion involved. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, how sorry do you feel? How, like, how, how strongly does it bother you mm-hmm. that you feel you have to, you know, maybe I better learn some Helcha Shabbos this week. Maybe every week I should learn one new halacha of Helcha Shabbos, like something to make me less negligent. <laughs> That's also a problem. Or maybe I'm going to, you know, after Shabbos, will I still remember that I should add something to my Arab Shabbos checklist to put little Velcro covers or tape on the light switches? Right? How much does it really bother you? So on the one hand, the sin is much easier to forgive because there was no harm intended. On the other hand, it's a lot harder to get to the point of really asking for forgiveness because you don't really feel like you did anything so wrong. Because he acted innocently and he wasn't thinking about rebelling. So then he also doesn't assume that there was something wrong with his thinking that led him there. Because he wasn't intentionally thinking about it at all, It doesn't occur to him that there's something wrong with how he was thinking that could be improved. Which is like a fascinating, you know, almost psychological insight about, which kind of demeans it to say that it's psychological insight. But it is an insight into the psychology of people that it it could be that actually achieving the request could be harder mm-hmm. when you've done less wrong because you're less stricken by the significance or the consequences of what you've done. Okay. Ruf Schwab says, when a person does tshuva, Hashem forgives him in stages. And the Gemara says, it's kind of a key, a key statement, the Gemara says, I'm a Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish, of course, is a fascinating person. It's Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. And he was a highway robber by profession, right? And he once tried to stick up Rabbi Yehuda, uh, Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan happened to be very, very, very good looking. And Reish Lakish was so struck by that because he was not a very lofty person. Um, and 
that started a whole conversation. And Rabbi Yochanan said, you know, with a mind like yours and determination and strength like yours, if you channeled that to something healthier, you could really make something of yourself. Um, and Reish Lakish, at the time, presumably was driven a little bit, you know, he spoke a language more physical than that, even though he obviously had a lot of greatness in him that Rabbi Yochanan was singing. Rabbi Yochanan said, you know, I have a sister who's even more beautiful than I am. So maybe if you made something of yourself, we could make a match. And that's what he did. And Reish Lakish, the bandit, became Reish Lakish, the Tana, and uh, did marry Rabbi Yochanan's sister. Okay, so it's that Reish Lakish who said, Gedola Tshuva, Tshuva is so great, Shezedonos Nasoslo Kishigagos, that a person's intentional, purposeful, rebellious sins turn into unintentional sins. That's how amazing tshuva is. A person can turn around with his tshuva, I don't know the different ways, but he doesn't explain in what way, presumably by changing the inner will, meaning if his inner will was rebellious, that would be a zadon, right? And if in his tshuva he changes his will to be the will of God, then the action stays there, but the will has changed. And now it was unintentional, and it wasn't on purpose, and it's much lighter. Okay, that's a Gemara Numa. But the Gemara goes on and says that as a person continues to elevate his tshuva from the level of tshuva of yira to the level of tshuva of ahava, then he will also start doing tshuva for averus done b'shogeg. And then the sins that were done b'mezid, the zedonos nasoslo kizichuyos, they become merits. They don't just become lighter sins, they actually become mitzvahs, so to speak. Not quite mitzvahs, but zechuyos. They come to his merit. I think if we use the, the, that sort of model of the person who accidentally turned the light on, right? So tshuva from yira, tshuva from fear, wouldn't take you very far there. Because there was no rebellion. There's no, there's no like, oh my gosh, like this is terrible. I, what do you think of me? Like, no, we, it's understood. But tshuva from love, where I want to do better than that, and I, I want to have my Shabbos be perfect, and I want to have the merit of that. Why didn't I have the merit of it being even better? Right? That would lead a person to even do tshuva better for the shogeg than what they had before. So he says, based on this, he, he seeks to explain, Rav Schwab, why the bracha switches to kimochel v'soleach atah, switches the order, because the mechila was for the more serious sins. Mechalanu makenu kipashanu. So he says, really it starts with that. You have the tshuva, which then mitigates the zedonos into shigagos, and then you have the slicha addressing all the shigagos together, including the ones that used to be zedonos. And now the whole thing becomes turned into zechuyos, which is like a nice, a nice explanation of it. Okay, here's another one. And this also ties into the message from Reish Lakish. Oh, it's late. Hmm. 
do this one because it does tie to the racial location. Kimocha v'soleachato. This is from the Ha'aras Hatzvila. Hashem, you are mochel and soleach, meaning you're mochel on your kavod and you also forgive. Because the, the kavod, right, the whole rebellious thing, you, you're mochel on the rebellion and you forgive for the sin. And in doing so, that erases the sin completely as if it never existed. This seems kind of difficult. We start by requesting of Hashem first slicha and then mechila. And we end up by We end by asking for mechila before slicha. Habeirhu, the explanation is, Dehine Moshe Rabbeinu Amar al Hakadish Baruchu, Shehu Nosei Avon Vavhesha Vechatoa. This is part of the 13 Midos of Hashem that we say, you like Yom Kippur and Slichos. Right? He says, Moshe Rabbeinu said about Hashem that he is Nosei Avon. He, will, he can carry the weight of the sin or he can lift the sin, Vafesha, and a Pesha sin, and Chata'a. So we don't have over here a discussion of Avon, but we have Pesha and Chait, and we had them first as Chait and then Pesha. Chait, which was lighter, Pesha, which is more serious. But Moshe Rabbeinu put the Pesha first, that God can sort of relieve us of the burden of the Pesha, and then the Chait. He says Avon is outright rebellion, Pesha is intentional sin, and Chait is negligent. But Chazal have said, This is quoting a Gemara in Yuma. He says, we have to look further into what Chazal tell us. This is what Moshe said to Hashem. When Israel sins and then does tshuva, please make their intentional sins into unintentional ones. Downgrade them. So, from our perspective, when we request forgiveness, we start with the lighter things, the chatoim, and only afterward do we get up the nerve to say, so, also there were some more serious things I needed to talk to you about, right? I think it's also an aspect of not just getting up nerve, but I think of being able to see ourselves more honestly. That it's easier, and this is just me suggesting, that it's easier to see in ourselves the things we do that aren't so bad. And it's only once we've cleared that away that, and then we've seen that there is forgiveness, that we could maybe bring ourselves to real, to admit even to ourselves that there's something worse than that that's going on. There's an underlying problem or there's, Right? and begin to address that more seriously. I think that's kind of typical mm-hmm. of the way that we work. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to Hashem's forgiveness, he goes in the opposite direction. He starts with the more serious and downgrades them and brings them to lower levels of seriousness. And in this way, they get to the level from the Avon to the Pesha to the Chait, and then they can be completely erased altogether. So that's why when we're saying as a bakasha, as a request, we go from lighter to heavier. But when we're stating the fact, Hashem is mochel v'soleach, that's describing how he actually forgives us, and that goes the opposite direction, from the, from the heavier to the lighter, so to speak.
Okay, I think let's stop here. And um, I'll continue next week, Kim Ratsasha.